You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. I want you just to look around the room right now. I want you to look at your brothers and your sisters all sitting around you. I want you to uh, just take in this moment and understand this is a great moment, but it won't always be this way. Um, Our church continues to grow. We won't always be in this spot. We like, we, like we will, we will keep going and keep going and keep like it won't always look the way that it looks right now. And I want you to just like, sometimes I, I think, you know, we have this tendency to gloss right past where we are and not appreciate it because we want to get to the next place. And I want you to understand that right now, for some of you, you're in the good old days. And so what I want you to do, like, and this is off topic, I'll get to the sermon in just a second, but just right, I want you just to look around, soak it in, because I believe what the Lord is going to do is going to be amazing. So just right now, I want you to turn to the person sitting next to you and just go, man, I'm glad for this. Just go ahead, like right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I believe the best is yet to come, man. All right, hey, um, couple things. Number one, welcome. If we haven't met, my name's Bert. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you for getting up. Thanks for spending your Sunday with us, man. We are thrilled that you're here. Eight o'clock coming out in four. You guys must have stuff to do today. I don't know what's going on, but you guys are in here ready to roll. Um, listen, before we go on any further, I also want to celebrate something, and they didn't know that I was going to do this, but listen, we we believe that save, or, uh, save people serve people, right? We believe that okay, when we live our faith out, we serve other people, and there's just a family. I want to call out the Elmers. They're sitting on the back right there. Listen, you just need to know this about them. They had no idea was going to do this, okay? These guys, they work until three, three in the morning in Dewey at their hot dog shop, right? And they come here and they served you coffee this morning. Like, can we give it up for them? That's awesome. That's awesome. Like, to me, I'm like, man, that is, like, that's, that's Jesus in action right there. I absolutely love that. Okay, so all of that said, uh, we are in a series right now on the book of Revelation. We're going to be there this week, and then next week we're wrapping it up. If you've got a Bible, open up to Revelation chapter uh, 13, I think is where we're going to be. No, 14, I'm wrong. It'll be on the screen. You'll figure it out. So anyway, um, anyway, uh, as you're turning there to one of those chapters, um, I, I want to just address something. We are going to be in a really, really heavy topic. And, and it occurred to me today uh, that as, as I was you know, prepping all this stuff, not today, this week, um, I haven't had my coffee. So anyway, what it occurred to me was, listen, I've been here at this church, like we started this church 10 years ago. And in the 10 years that we've been doing this, I have never once taught on this topic. Because it's not exactly light reading. Because today, we're talking about this, the Antichrist. Now, here's why we don't typically talk about that. Because for the longest time, what we tried to do in sermons was make it so, listen, you could easily apply to your life today the message content that we have. And so you'd be like, okay, well, here's, uh, here's this thing on marriage. Okay, here's how I can apply it to my marriage. Okay, here, here's this thing on studying the scriptures. Here's how I can study the scriptures better. But how do you apply antichrist? I mean, that's, that's really difficult, all right? Thank you, for some of you, for laughing. That was, that was a joke. <laughs> Well, and, and, and it's, it's, it's often, I've been thinking about that, because I'm like, listen, it's in the Bible, it matters, so, so what do we do with this idea? How, how do we take something, because, because here's the thing about the Antichrist, I hope, in the nicest way possible, I hope none of you live to see what the Antichrist does, because it's awful. 
I hope you never experience the stuff that the Bible teaches about the Antichrist. And so how do you apply it? I think, I think that the best way to get it would be like this. Um, you know, we had kids in worship today, and, and parents, you understand there are things that you pass on to your kids, right? One of the things that we pass on to our kids is we try to teach them about safety and that the world is not all favorable people. And so we teach them things like stranger danger, right? We teach them things like how to protect themselves, how to navigate if there was somebody who wanted to do them harm. And, and we teach them these things hoping that they will never have to use them, right? Like, like I've never been out and about with my kids and be like, hey guys, see that white van over there? You know, no, 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 the one with the guys who are wearing the ski masks in the front. Yeah, that one. Why don't you go knock on the window and see if they have any candy they want to give you? Like I've, I've never done that. I hope they never were in that situation. But, but, I still have to have them ready for it, right? And the same thing is true when it comes to this idea of the Antichrist. I hope none of us experience what the Antichrist does, but we have a responsibility to know about it as the people of God, and, and here's the next part, and to pass it on to those after us. Do you know that what you receive here doesn't stay with just you? It's your job to pass it on to the next generation of Jesus followers. When you receive this knowledge, it's not just for you. It's for them as well. And let's just re recognize that the Antichrist is, is a real thing. Sometimes what we do when we come to these passages in Revelation, we're like, oh, that's figurative, and that's a, a time gone by, which is why I, what I like to do is always let the, the whole of Scripture speak. And one of the things that we find is, no, this is like talking about a real figure who will come into history. Like Paul, in his book, Second Thessalonians, he's, he writes to this church in Thessalonica, and it's this church that's afraid that maybe they've missed the second coming of Christ. Like that's the thing, like, oh my gosh, you know, we missed the first time. Like maybe he came back and we didn't know. And Paul's like, no, man, you're not going to miss it. In fact, here's what he says in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 3. He says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come, talking about the return of Jesus, until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. And what's he look like? Well, he's the man doomed to destruction. It says he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God. Meaning, what he will do is he'll be so anti the things of God that he will, he will be against all of it, and he will exalt himself and claim to be God. And so he says, called the God where worship, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. There's a real guy coming that's going to do that. And you might go like, well, how in the world would people ever stand for something like that? I mean, like, if somebody shows up and they're like, hey, I'm God. Wouldn't that be kind of like red flag, you know? But just something that you need to understand, like because we're Americans and, and we have separation of church and state and, and we have democracy, you just need to know that when it comes to rulers claiming to be gods, that's not a rare thing when it comes to human history and even on the planet right now. I mean, like you could just trace it. Like typically, I mean, it's not that far of a jump to have somebody who's like an unquestioned authority and they make the jump to claiming deity. I mean, you could go to the Old Testament and look at the pharaohs of Egypt, right? I mean, they claimed, listen, I'm Ramses. I'm the sun and the moon and the stars, like claiming to be God. The same was true in Paul's day with, with emperors like Nero and all the Caesars, okay, that they claimed to be Lord and King and a God walking on the earth. I mean, for goodness sakes, in our lifetime, think about North Korea and Kim Jong-un, right, before, Il, or Kim Jong-il, right? Think about how, like, you know, like, they would claim these ridiculous things, like, supernatural things, like, he, he, he made the greatest golf game ever, but then he stopped because he didn't want anyone to see it. Like, I mean, like, these, like, these crazy things, but it's not that far of a leap to have somebody enter into human history, and when they're given enough power to go, listen, I'm God. It's not that crazy, and so 
all that said, the, the rest of Revelation up until the very end like deals with this very real spiritual battle that takes place between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the devil. And we talked about this last week in this Revelation 13. I know I, I just looked at the, the next slide, so spoilers. Um, but, and, and we talked about, we talked about the beast, right? Or the dragon, right? We talked about Satan, how like Satan like had been cast out of heaven and we looked at this real spiritual warfare. And our story today picks up right where last week's left off. And so the dragon being the devil, here's what happens. Revelation 13 verse one says this, the dragon stood on the shore of the sea and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had 10 horns and seven heads with 10 crowns on its horns. So basically with all these heads, the idea is the beast represents a king, a ruler who will rule all these nations of the world. And what, and what are his characteristics? And on each head, a blasphemous name. Jump on down to verse five. Here's what it says. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. Meaning, okay, th this, this beast is symbolic of this world leader who will basically rule over the nations of the world and he is allowed for a time to blaspheme the Lord, to claim to be God, to claim to be, this, you know, he's a false Messiah, okay, that I'm the one to come into creation. He's allowed to lie and lie and mislead and mislead. Look at this verse six. It says, it opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. I want to pause on that for a moment, okay? Because can we, can we just own for a second um, that when it comes down to it, we are a people who are not always shy of accusing people of being the Antichrist. Like, like have, have you noticed that? Like, particularly like in political seasons, there's always that one person who kind of steps up and they're like, so and oh, you like so-and-so? Let me tell you about so-and-so. So-and-so is actually secretly the Antichrist right? Am I lying? Like, have you not met? Maybe some of you are that person, okay? Like, where it's just, like, so, I mean, it's, it's across the board, right? So, so when, when Bush was in office, and now when Trump, it's okay, like, like, Trump is secretly the Antichrist, okay? Yeah, he says he likes Christian things, but no, actually, it's a ploy. Don't fall for it. He's actually, like, the beast who is to come. But other people on the opposite end, they're like, listen, okay, like, Obama, Obama, how many of you remember, like, when Obama took office, and they were like, okay, listen, well, this is the end of America, because, because, because here's, am I lying? Like, here, this is, why? Well, because like, he's going like, to seem schmoozy and yeah, okay, he says he's a Christian, but then he's going to seduce all of these other countries into following him and he's going to take over because he's the Antichrist. And here's the thing you just need to understand in light of this. The Antichrist will not claim to be a Christian. You just need to know that. Like, in fact, he's overtly anti-everything Christian. Like, I mean, like over, like, I mean, we saw it in Thessalonians, like he'll set himself up against everything that is called God. Like this, we're going to see him just lying against God. We're going to see him make war against the people of God. He's unapologetically anti-Christ. And so we've got somebody like, well, okay, they say they're born again, but are they really? And I've got to sort of weigh it. I mean, yeah, okay, test the spirits for sure. But we don't have to worry about this because the anti-Christ is in the name, anti-Christ. I didn't think it needed to be said, but apparently it did. Okay, so look, verse 7. Talking about the beast, symbolic of the Antichrist. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. It says all the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. And the symbolic, okay, everyone who doesn't belong to Jesus. 
This is basically a line in the sand, and this is what we're finding. Okay, the reason that this figure is allowed to arise is because it's one last division within humanity. Remember how the Bible began with humanity's rebellion against God? Like we looked at this in Genesis all those months ago. Okay, this is the final call. So now finally, like in this big overt way, people are allowed to turn against the Lord one last time because, because <laughs> the Lord's coming back. And so they, they turn against him and says, it says, the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world, talking about Jesus. And here's what John says next. I love this. He says, whoever has ears, let him hear. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And you remember how we've been saying this whole time in Revelation that the, the big idea of Revelation is this, that God is still in control and to hold on even when it feels like he's not. Remember that? That's going to be just reiterated right here again and again and again when it comes to the work of the Antichrist. Because listen, here's what John says in verse 10. He says, if anyone is, going, or is to go into captivity, into captivity he'll go. Meaning, hey listen, like God is going to allow this figure to absolutely oppress the people of God. So you're going to go into activity or captivity. Expect that. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword, they will be killed. But, but understand, God is still in control. And so here's his next little bit of counsel. He says in verse 10, he says, this calls for patient endurance and the faithfulness of the part of God's people. In other words, endure. Endure. Okay. It's going to look like you shouldn't. It's going to look like, okay, that, that you are on the losing team because this figure is going to make it seem as though your God isn't real. And, and let's just think about that for a second. Okay, with all these leaders in, in world history who have claimed to be gods, can you imagine what would happen if they had the power to back it up? I mean, really, okay, like, like okay, like, I mean, you, you've, got, you've got Caesar, and he says, all right, I'm, you know, I'm a god on the earth, okay, but he doesn't have any special powers or anything like that, but here's this world leader who basically claims to be a messiah and says, listen, I'm God, I'm the real thing, and all the nations of the world begin to follow him. And then we're going to see in a second, he, like, like the, the beast actually has a false prophet who's allowed to do all these signs to point people towards the beast. Don't you think that would make some people go, listen, I've been guessing, but obviously that's the real thing. And so here's John up front. He's going, listen, it's going to seem that way. Don't fall for it. Don't listen. He's going to be allowed to make war against God and the people of God for a time. But do not think that you're on the losing side. You're not. Hold on, endure, endure, endure. And so it continues in verse 11. John says, then I saw a second beast coming up out of the earth. And this is the false prophet. It had two horns like a lamb. And that description, by the way, okay, like why is that two horns like a lamb? Because he seems non-threatening. Okay, so like the idea is the false prophet being kind of a likable guy. But it spoke like a dragon, meaning it speaks the words of the devil. Remember how the, the devil was likened to being a dragon earlier? Okay, so it's, like it's speaking the words of your enemy and mine. It continues. It, ex it exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And it's... Uh, Scholars differ on that if it's talking about like a, a former government that's been put back together or maybe like the beast himself suffered like an actual like assassination attempt and then he's healed or what have you. Could be. Regardless, what this, what this false prophet does is he points people towards the Antichrist. And look at this. I mean, this is how, how just nefarious your enemy is. Verse 13. It performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Now, that's symbolic of something, right? We talked about this earlier. Okay, like who caused fire to fall from heaven? Elijah. And so it could be that what, what John is saying is, listen, there's gonna be, a, there's gonna guy, come a guy who's going to arise. 
And he's going to claim to be a Messiah. And if you're from a, a group of people who believe that the Messiah hasn't come yet, and you believe that Elijah is going to come first before the Messiah, well, here's this guy posing as Elijah. Here's this guy posing as the Messiah. And then guess what? It's not really them. Or it could be the fact this guy just has supernatural power. And just like Elijah, how Elijah turned people back to God, what this guy is going to do is he's just going to turn people towards the Antichrist. And look at this. It continues, verse 14. It says, because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. How badly? Verse 14 continues. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast, it says was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak. So we're talking like some really, really like demonic, heavy stuff. Okay, like it sets up this idol, but it gives the idol power to talk. Whoa, that's, I mean, that's insane. And it says, and so the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It forced, it says, all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands, on their foreheads. I want to pause there with that. Okay, so what we're seeing is over and over again, what this, what this false prophet is doing is just, listen, like, you need to follow the beast or you'll be killed. You need to follow the beast or you'll be killed, or the Antichrist or whatever the person's name would be. Okay, like, follow, join, or die. And says, listen, now what it does is it says you need to put a mark on your hand or your head. And what happens if you don't? Well, look at this, verse 17. So they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. I want to pause on this, Okay. There, there's some, some debate and misunderstanding about this, okay? Um, so, so here's the idea. All the followers of the beast receive this mark on their hand or their head. And, and many of us are like, okay, like, what is that? You know, so for instance, I, I knew a guy years ago, and, and, and he was always sort of paranoid about te- technology. And so I remember him saying one time, and, and like all of these like crazy stories were always in places that no one could go and fact check. You ever know that guy, right? And so, he, so he's like, oh, I was in Australia. I'm like, okay. And he, goes, and he goes, and I was in a 7-Eleven, which I didn't know they had in Australia. Okay, neat. All right. And I was getting a Slurpee. Good detail. And he goes, and he goes, and this guy came in, and he got a Slurpee too. And when it came time for me to be checked out, he just said to the, the attendant, he said, get your scanner. And he did, and he held his hand forward, and they scanned it, and his drink was paid for, and he left. Antichrist is on the earth, bro. I'm like, maybe, or none of what you just said happened. It could be one of the two. Um, but here's the misunderstanding, Okay. So this language of something beyond the head and the hand, this is actually taking back to what was called the Shema. Now, if you know the Old Testament, you know like the most important command, the prayer of loyalty among the people of God is found in Deuteronomy 6. It's called the Shema. Hey, hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. Worship the Lord your God, right? Uh, love him with all your heart, your soul, and your strength, right? It's what Jesus quotes is the most important commandment. Okay, now fun fact for you, when God gives that, what he says is, listen, teach these things to your children, bind them on your doors, and he says, and fasten them to your hands and your head. And so when you find this language of, of the beast going, listen, like, or the false prophet going, listen, put the mark on your hand, it's basically, listen, it's the anti-Shema. It's okay, listen, like it's an overt, reject the Lord, follow him. That's what the idea here is. It's not about technology. I mean, maybe technology could play a role in it, but that's not the point. The point is, and it's not like you're going to just sort of maybe accidentally stumble into this, like, oh man, I've got an Apple Watch. Is this it? Let me just, like, it's not that. It's not that. No, no, it's overtly anti-God. It's a rejection of the Lord. 
And so he continues. He says, like, they're going to receive the number. And what's that look like? He says, he says um, this calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man. That number is 666. Oh, shoot. Brought out the 666. <laughs> and man, people debate this to the cows come home. Best theories that, that I've heard on it are this. Um, so in ancient languages, you should know it's like Greek, Hebrew as well. Uh, they didn't have numbers. And so what they would do for numbers is they would use letters and they would add up the letters. And if you add them up a certain way, you would have a number, okay? And when it comes down to this, if you were to add up 666 and sort of, you know, f- through weird scholarly math, um, there are a few things that you could translate to being 666. One of them is just the, the, the phrase, the beast. Like if you were to add up the phrase of the letters, like the beast, if you were to add those letters up, it would come out to 666. But there's another one as well. Um, Emperor Nero, okay, who, who, who lived um, around the time of John, who was overtly anti-Christians. Like Nero was that guy that would, like, that would dip Christians in tar, light them on fire to keep his gardens lit at night. Like he's responsible for the deaths of Peter and Paul. Like I mean, just really, really bad dude. If you were to add up the, the letters of the phrase Nero Caesar, you would get 666. But it doesn't stop with Nero Caesar. And this is where I think a lot of people say, listen, he was clearly talking about Nero. It's done. It's over. But remember, we talked about this way earlier in the series, that what you find in the Bible is archetypes, that like there will be a person who represents something much greater than them coming down the line. I think the same is true with Nero. Okay, like this person, like this Antichrist will look like Nero. He'll be a man of immorality. He'll be a man who claims to be God. He'll be a man who sets himself up against the things of God, just like Nero did, but it doesn't stop with Nero. Nero is, is, is a foreshadowing of this guy who has come. Same way, listen, just fun fact for you. If you add up the letters of Hitler, you get 666. Neat, right? And could you imagine being alive in Hitler's day and being like, oh, shoot, right? And, 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 and you would think of though, right? Because he's amassing all this power. He's clearly anti the people of God and the things of God. Well, what, listen, Hitler, foreshadowing of someone much worse. Like, could you imagine that? But he is. He is. And so here's the good news. The good news is, like, while the enemy is allowed to just wreak havoc on the earth, he doesn't win. He doesn't. So if you jump on over to chapter 14, here's what happens. Check this out. It says uh, in verse 9, A third angel followed them and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength to the cup of his wrath. Now, it's just okay, the side, listen, if you choose this, because many of us, what we want to do is we want to walk both sides. Maybe, all right, I won't follow the Antichrist, but maybe I'm just like on civil terms with this. Then I'll be okay. Like, I'll still be a Jesus follower, but I'll be in secret or what have you. And John goes out of his way. He says, listen, you can't have both. All right. If you choose to partake in the work of the enemy who is anti-God, you will partake in the full fury of God's judgment. Just know that's coming. Like you're going to have to pick a side. I think we have a hard time with this. I'll give you some examples. Like, so for instance, I don't know, have, have you just noticed that like for, for us culturally in the way that we think, like we have a hard time making choices. Think about, I don't know if, you, if you've ever been to a restaurant in Camden called Cheddar's. Have you ever been to Cheddar's? Cheddar's is the place for you if you can't figure out what you want to eat. Like, you, like, my favorite meal at Cheddar's is steak and chicken fingers. Like, that's a meal at Cheddar's. Like, I want this, but also this. Like, why? Because, like, we have a hard time. Like, we call, it, we call it fear of missing out, right? Like, we don't want to necessarily choose one thing to the exclusion of something else. It's why we have things called bandwagon fans. 
Like, can I go there for a second? Like, with the NFL, right? Think about this. Like, everybody knows that person who always loves the popular team. So, for instance, in my family, I think I've told about this before. I have an uncle who, he always has a jersey for the team that won last year's Super Bowl. <laughs> always, without fail. One year we were, one year we were at our, our Christmas thing, and, and he came out, um, and he was wearing a Patriots jersey. And we said, how long have you been a Patriots fan? And he said, I've always been a Patriots fan. Another year, another year he came out and he was wearing, okay, it was, when, it was when the Giants beat the Patriots and he came out wearing an Eli Manning jersey. And we said, how long have you been a Giants fan? He said, I've always been a Giants fan. <laughs> well, and he adapted himself to, okay, this is the, the winning team I want to be on. And, and listen, here's why I'm bringing this up. Because many people, when it comes to your relationship with God, you do the exact same thing. Where you go with the flow and tide of culture as long as it's popular rather than what the word says. And I want to just challenge you. Okay, listen, many of us, here's what we will do. We'll, we'll say, listen, I love Jesus. I will follow him to the end. I will die for my Lord. And yet you won't even live for the Lord. Whenever your values and those of the scriptures come into conflict, you always choose the way of the world. Don't think that if you're not willing to surrender and submit to him now, that you're going to do so then when everything is required of you. Like if you've got, if you've got pressure now that you're not giving, like that you're not remaining faithful through, why would you think that you'll be faithful to the Lord through that? Now, don't you understand that your life now is practice for eternity? It's not that, okay, one day I'll suddenly make a click and I'll be that person that I always wanted to be. No, no, no. You choose now because how you choose now shapes who you will be then. Like, this is why we live out righteousness. And no, it's not what makes God accept us. That's grace. But as we live for him, if we expect to remain faithful to him until the end, then what we must do is live for him right here, right now. Why should I do that? Because the alternative is really, really bad. Like, there's, there's a, a book years ago called the, the Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And it was about this idea of, like, listen, like, live for the Lord radically. And, and Bonhoeffer, fun fact, lived during the era of the Nazi regime. He was actually murdered by the Nazis. And he talks about, listen, like, we have to live for the Lord. But there's another guy who came on years later, and his name was Dallas Willard. And he said, okay, yes, there's a, there's a cost to discipleship, but don't you know, there's also a cost to non-discipleship. Meaning, it will ultimately, it will cost more of you not to follow Jesus than it will to follow him. Because, hey, listen, you're inconvenienced for him now. You're hurt for him now. Okay, but compared to what awaits you for eternity, if you don't follow him, it seems like a no-brainer. And so, listen, here's what awaits those that give in and follow the beast. Verse 10 it says, They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. Ouch. Verse 11, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. So for the one who's like, is hell a real place? Or the one who's like, well, maybe it doesn't last forever. Forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. And so John reiterates again, listen, might not seem like God's in control, he is, and hold on, verse 12, this calls, he says it again, for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Here's the reason why you want to persist in following the Lord until the end, because every Everything else doesn't win. 
Okay, listen, like if, if you're living for you, everything that you're living for, you will ultimately lose. If you decide to follow the enemy, if you were to decide to abandon your faith, ultimately the enemy will lose. The reason you should follow the Lord until the end is because ultimately God is the only victor when it comes to human history. That's why we follow him, because he's good, he's kind, and he's right. We follow him because everything else is death, and we don't want that. It's why, listen, when it comes to this beast who's able to exercise just all kinds of fury against God for a time and, and to make war against God's people. You know how things end up for him? Revelation, jump forward to chapter 19, verse 19. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth, everybody who was following the beast and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider, which is talking about Jesus, on the horse and his army. How's it go? Check this out. Verse 20, but the beast was captured. Okay, so they decided, listen, we'll make one last stand against God. Doesn't work. The beast was captured, and with it, the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. How does that go? It says, look at this. With these signs, he had deluded those who received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. And the two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. I mean, God literally opens up hell for them. Like, it's, not, it's not like, okay, like you, know, you die and you go one way or the other. Like, literally, he opens hell on the other. Like, they're thrown alive into hell. And it doesn't stop with just them. Verse 21, the rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. So good buffet day if you're a bird, but, but bad for followers of the beast. And you might go, well, man, yeah, why? Because the enemy loses. Do you know that, that at the end of the day, God wins? And next week, as we, as we wrap at Revelation, we'll talk about the return of Christ, and we'll talk about the, the judgment of the living and the dead and all these things, but understand what precedes all of it is the victory of God. It's coming. And by the way, fun fact for you, this all began with the rebellion of the dragon. Remember that? Our, our enemy, Satan. Let me show you how that ends for him. Revelation 20.10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. These are the words of God. This is what is in stone. This is what will happen. No one can thwart the plans of God. This is the destination for your enemy and mine. So take peace in something. Listen to this, okay? The enemy will not win. He won't. And as we, go, as we go forward in culture and everybody wants to spin these narratives about how, listen, if, if, you're, if you're being faithful to the Lord and faithful to the word, they'll, they'll use phrases like, listen, you're on the wrong side of history. No, actually, I'm on the perfect side of history because I know where this is going. The enemy will not win. In fact, let me take you a step further. Jesus will conquer evil. He will. All this, what's going to happen? What's going to happen is that our God wins. He does. He does. But here's the last part. Here's the thing that's the calling on you and me because we, we don't defeat the enemy and we're not Jesus. He's the one who conquers. But here's what's required of us that we've seen again and again as we've read Revelation today. But you must endure. You must endure. You must stick with this. You must remain faithful to the Lord until the end. And here's the thing. John lived this out. He did. When we began all of this, we found him suffering for the Lord. He was in exile on Patmos. And here's the crazy thing. He modeled this to the next generation that came after him. John, John, I mean, and do you know, that one of the reasons you want to remain faithful to the Lord until the end is because other people are watching you. I, we have a guy in our community group right now and, and he just came to the Lord this year. And we were talking about this. He said, man, you know, one of the biggest things that influenced me, it's like handing my life over to Jesus is I saw how Christians around me lived. 
Like, are you aware of that, that other people are watching you, that this isn't just about what you want to do or don't do. This is about like the next generation. It's so much bigger than you and me. John was an example of this. In fact, John, um, he had a disciple, a guy who watched him go through all of this. The guy's name was Polycarp. Polycarp, if you don't know his story, Polycarp uh, was a bishop in the first century in the church of Smyrna. He was born a few years actually after Peter and Paul died. And at some point he came to faith and, and John actually took him under his wing and began to pour into his life and tell him about like what it meant to follow the Lord. And John had lived all this through. He had lived following the Lord through Nero. He had lived following the Lord through persecution and suffering. And he remained faithful and Polycarp saw that. And there came a day where what was demanded of Polycarp was exactly what had been demanded of John again and again, where they brought him into an arena and they said, listen, we're going to kill you if you don't renounce Jesus. Now, they called Christians atheists back then. They called them that because basically the idea was, listen, you don't worship all our gods, you're an atheist. And they said, listen, stop being an atheist. And he said, I can't. And said, then what we'll do is we'll light you on fire. And he went, bring on the flames. And so, okay, well, that doesn't scare you. And then we'll, we'll, we'll stab you. And he goes, bring on the sword. Okay, then, then what we'll do, and I'm, uh, the, and I'm paraphrasing here, and so what we'll do is we'll bring out the wild beasts, you know, the lions, and we'll let them tear you to shreds. And he goes, okay. He says, and they say, okay, well, then, all right, back to plan A, fire then, because apparently that's not working. And so they said, all right, listen, Polycarp, last chance, renounce your faith, or we will burn you alive. And Polycarp, he said this, he said, listen, you guys don't understand. <laughs> he said, for 86 years have I served him, talking about the Lord. And, he, and he, imagine him saying this. He's in an arena with all these eyes on him and his life is on trial. He said, for 86 years have I served him and he has never done me wrong. Well, but Polycarp, like, there, there are people who want to kill you. I, I would think that God is, no, no, I know something you don't know. I'm right in his hand right now. For 86 years have I served him and he has never done me wrong. He said, so how then can I now blaspheme my God and Savior? Like, how can I do that? And so he said, this is amazing. He said, you threaten me with flames that burn for an hour and then are extinguished. But you know nothing of the eternal fire that is to come. Bring on your flames. And they did. They burned him alive. They murdered him. But he understood something. He understood that if he was to escape something much worse, he would endure following the Lord until the end. And listen, I hope when it comes to you, I mean, I hope we are never put in a situation like that. I hope none of us ever have to choose between saying, I will remain faithful to the Lord or breathing my last breath on this planet. I hope it never happens. But you need to know, and I need to know this, and at the end of the day, it's not the one who made a decision for Jesus at summer camp that escapes hell. It's the one who endures until the end. It's awesome if you have good feelings about Jesus. You've got to be faithful to him. And I want to recognize right now that maybe like as we're sitting here, some of you like, you're like, okay, that, uh, gosh, I'm not walking where I should be and I need to just come back. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So every head bowed, every eye closed. If you would say, okay, I'm not walking with the Lord, but I want to. Okay, uh, uh, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I want to come back. I want you to pray with me right now. Here's what we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge our guilt to you. We acknowledge our flesh. We acknowledge where we have not been faithful. We acknowledge where we've been tempted to run and live for ourselves. And God, in this moment, we recognize that following you is 
greater. Following you is better. And so, Lord, we choose as a people to follow you. We choose as a people to endure until the end. And Lord, we ask you, would you give us a measure of your spirit that will allow us to do that, God? We know that we cannot remain faithful without you being with us. And so we ask you, please fill us with your spirit so that we can remain faithful to you, so that we can be a witness for you to those around us, so that we can faithfully pass on to the next generation everything that you have entrusted to us because we know that at the end of the day, only you, only you, only you win. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever, ever take us from your hand. And so Lord, we ask you, may we hold on to you until our last breath. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.